episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome again to another episode of our show with another truly fascinating guest who is helping uh, to create a better tomorrow for so many different people around the world. Um, as a little background, the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development was established by the Vatican, uh, by the Holy Father, Pope Francis, back in 2016, deals with a range of issues, including migrants' rights, refugees, victims of the slave trade and human trafficking, uh, justice and peace, the progress of peoples, uh, the promotion of dignity and human rights, disarmament and armed conflicts, uh, as well as their consequences on civilians and the natural environment. Uh, we are honored today to be joined by Cardinal Michael Cherney, uh, who serves as the Undersecretary of the Migrants and Refugee Section of the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development. Uh, Cardinal Zerny entered the Society of Jesus back in 1963, was ordained in 1973, and did his graduate studies at the University of Chicago in interdisciplinary programs in humanities, social thought, and theology, earned his doctorate in 1978, uh, and was ordained a cardinal uh, by, the, by the Holy Pope Francis on October 5th of 2019. Uh, cardinal Zerny, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show today. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. Um, I would love to just start off by by giving you the floor for a couple of minutes. If you could just uh, take a couple of minutes to uh, how uh, your background and how you became known uh, as the Cardinal for the Peripheries uh, by Pope Francis, uh, that'd be a great way to start things off. Well, um, I, I could begin by saying that I was uh, born in uh, Czechoslovakia and uh, a couple of years later, with my younger brother and my parents, we went to Canada, uh, whether you call the word went, fled, or uh, migrated. But in any case, we, we escaped to uh, Canada, uh, where I grew up in Montreal, uh, attended uh, Loyola High School there, and afterwards joined the Jesuits in Canada. And I've had a, uh, yes, a varied uh, uh, career in the, I studied, as you said, at the University of Chicago uh, in the United States, and I've worked in Canada on uh, social justice and uh, Catholic faith issues. Um, then for a couple of years in El Salvador, after the uh, six Jesuits and two women were assassinated at the uh, Central University of Central America. And for 11 years, I was the secretary for the social apostolate for the Jesuits, based here in Rome at our, at our uh, curia or headquarters. And then for eight years, I founded and directed the African Jesuit AIDS Network to uh, help Jesuits throughout uh, Africa in about the 30 countries where we find ourselves to respond to the challenges of AIDS. That was at the beginning of the millennium, the beginning of the century. Uh, and then um, I was uh, called back to Rome as an assistant or counselor to Cardinal Peter, Peter Turkson from Ghana. Cardinal Turkson uh, was uh, president of the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace, which is one of the four components which uh, Pope Francis then put together in uh, 2016, as you mentioned, to become the uh, the uh, dicastery for promoting integral human development. Within that dicastery, there's a section called migrants and refugees, 
there's two of us undersecretaries, myself and Father uh, Fabio Baggio as Calabrini father. And the two of us then are responsible for this section. And our mission is to uh, support, encourage, and if necessary, assist the bishops and their, uh, and their cooperators, their collaborators uh, throughout the world in responding to uh, vulnerable people on the move. And by vulnerable people on the move, we mean asylum seekers, uh, refugees, uh, vulnerable migrants, uh, uh, displaced people, internally displaced people, uh, climate displaced people, and victims of human trafficking. You might notice that I use the word vulnerable migrants because uh, migration is a, uh, a reality throughout our world. And there are many, many people who migrate uh, and don't uh, need any particular help or support. They do so freely. They know how to do it. They do it uh, easily. And their, their passage is facilitated and made uh, relatively easy and sometimes very easy. Um, most of the people that most of us know uh, are people who have moved. Very few people are natives uh, uh, of the place they started off in. And, uh, but there is a, a small, these are the categories I mentioned and the, the vulnerable migrants are among them. And uh, so that's our mission now. And uh, even in this uh, sort of brief uh, run through, maybe you've uh, already picked up elements of uh, in effect, how did, how did I end up in this job at this, uh, you might say, late stage of my life as I'm uh, preparing to enter into the fourth, the fourth quarter of my century? Um, so the answer uh, maybe starts all the way at the beginning when uh, I myself and my family were, we were uh, refugees, uh, we were uh, migrating, we were fleeing, and we were looking for a place uh, which we could call uh, home once again. And that's what uh, uh, I'm now busy with as one of the two undersecretaries of the migrant and refugee section. But I could also say that uh, throughout my life, and especially since, uh, since I became a Jesuit and uh, finished my studies, that I've always been involved in one way or another with those who are uh, seeking um, human dignity, uh, security, uh, justice, uh, or in one uh, simple word, hope. What are the conditions for hope? And uh, it's easy for those of us who are a bit more comfortable uh, to think that hope is just uh, a given because it seems to be part of our way of life. Uh, but if you start subtracting the basics on which our life depends, you see that our life becomes uh, so difficult as to become, or to risk becoming hopeless. And once human life is hopeless, uh, well, then human life is undermined, is seriously undermined uh, in body, mind, and spirit. And uh, uh, I think our basic conviction that I sh I'm sure we most our listeners uh, share and so many people throughout the world share is that, that human life deserves to be human. Human life should not be lived in a subhuman way. And human dignity should not be sacrificed to any, for, for any other 
uh, interest or advantage or gain or profit. Human dignity is non-negotiable. And unfortunately, it is uh, overlooked, uh, discarded and traded and uh, denied and trampled on in many different ways throughout our world. And uh, the gospel of our Lord, the revelation of God in, uh, is uh, that we, as Pope Francis has been insisting recently, we are brothers and sisters. And so the dignity of each and every one of our fellow uh, inhabitants is uh, central to our concern and central to our living out our faith. And so that's, I guess, what uh, my life is busy with and maybe answers your question. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I appreciate that introduction. And, you know, when you uh, took on this position in terms of uh, the migrants and refugees section, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, obviously this is one of the most important, urgent phenomena of our time. I, I had the opportunity to um, to serve on a, a group with, uh, at the time, Ambassador uh, Jose Gomez Camacho. At the time, he was Mexico's Ambassador of the United Nations, who had helped put together the uh, United Nations uh, Compact on uh, making migration safe, orderly, uh, regular, in a proper way. And the numbers, as you were saying, were staggering, even when we look beyond sort of the the 700 or so internal migrants, uh, just the amount of people that are forcibly displaced. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about the church's role uh, in dealing with, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's such a large number, but even sort of the, the subset of these uh, forcibly uh, displaced migrants uh, is amazing. Talk a little bit about the church's role and, and the different areas that you focus on in terms of orderly and safe migration. Very good. Well, uh, I too was involved in uh, the uh, great effort that uh, the ambassador was uh, co-leading, yep. and uh, so I'm I'm happy happy that you've mentioned it because uh, unfortunately people don't know much about the uh, compact for my for migration, and uh, it's an important uh, framework for international cooperation. But to give uh, to answer your question, I would say the uh, maybe one of the most important things the church does is to um, uh, question your way of posing the question. In okay. other words, you, you um, kind of framed your question in terms of huge numbers. And what the church does is uh, to uh, not uh, focus on huge numbers, but to focus on persons and families and communities. And uh, if you focus on persons, families and communities, instead of getting... Uh, bent out of shape and uh, discouraged by large numbers, which is the effect that these have on us, instead of that, you uh, seize the opportunity and, the, and you meet, try to meet the needs of this uh, person, uh, this family, uh, or this community. And that's what, in fact, the church does. The church doesn't deal with uh, statistics, and the church doesn't deal with people in masses. So, uh, the responses of the church to the needs of vulnerable people on the move, if I can use that expression to sum up all the different categories that we're talking about, the, the church's response has been uh, very well summed up by Pope Francis, not so much as a description as a, um, as a challenge. And, it, and it's a challenge which he puts to the church, but to everybody. What is what are the elements, what are the necessary elements of anyone's response to a vulnerable person, a vulnerable uh, family, 
uh, on the move or on the run? And the answer is our response has to consist of welcoming them, protecting them, promoting them, and integrating them. And uh, at first they might sound just sound like a string of words, but if you take the time to uh, meditate a bit on the four words, you will see that these are a very complete um, prescription or outline of the dimensions and the and even the phases of what uh, vulnerable people on the move uh, really do need. And I think the most uh, well, they're all interesting. Each word has its interest, but the, the the first one is very interesting because when you think about it, welcome is uh, essential for any truly human relationship. If you, if you start off with something that is not welcome, uh, you're not gonna get to anything positive in a, in a human relationship. You cannot, you cannot positively relate to someone by saying, I don't really want you here, I don't want you to be part of my life, I don't recognize that you exist, I don't think that you really have dignity. Uh, you aren't welcome here and you're not wanted here. Once we've said that, and we sometimes say it in words, but we usually say it with, with structures and processes. Once you've said that, then everything else is cut off and in fact killed. So welcome is so very essential. And uh, I think Pope Francis has pushed on on this word of welcome in promoting uh, human fraternity as he has been doing most intensively this past year. Uh, but welcome is, is very important. And, and for those of our listeners who might be unfamiliar with the area of uh, uh, human mobility, uh, vulnerable people on the move, uh, but with other uh, areas of human need, other uh, kinds of uh, vulnerability, other uh, groups of people who tend to be excluded or marginalized or uh, neglected or uh, ignored or persecuted or suppressed, whatever category you might be interested in or you might have experience of, you might see that your, uh, your positive response, your uh, human response, and indeed your Christian or other religious response, indeed does consist of welcoming them, protecting them, promoting them, and integrating them. And uh, I won't go through the categories. It's up to each one to think it through. But uh, I think you'll say that is a pretty good summary of what uh, we are invited, called, and challenged to do in response to uh, every one of our brothers and sisters. And as soon as you find out yourself saying, well, yes, but not those, well, that's your new challenge then. Uh, your new challenge is to say, well, no, there aren't those others who don't deserve my welcome, protection, promotion, and integration. So it's a, uh, yes, it's a particular field uh, responding to, or a particular focus responding to uh, the needs of, a, of, a, of certain people, certain uh, communities, certain populations. Uh, but it's also a translation of the great commandment. It's a translation of uh, Christian, uh, Jewish, Muslim faith. It's a translation of all the faiths, really, 
in uh, how we are uh, challenged and called uh, to treat one another. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I'd also, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the dicastery's involvement with uh, the environment. Uh, I, I recently listened to a, a talk you gave on uh, an encyclical of Pope Francis uh, entitled Laudato Si, uh, focusing on our relationship, uh, the relationship between nature and, and society that lives within it. Um, and then, you know, one of the things I noticed, um, obviously, aside from sort of the the ecological issues talked about, um, a component of that, the, the rights of indigenous peoples, um, which very interestingly, I, I happen to have a, um, a member of the uh, uh, Waroni Amer Indian tribe that recently uh, won this huge uh, court case against, I think it was uh, the Ecuadorian government and uh, stopping logging and protecting the Amazon rainforest from timber companies. Um, could you talk a little bit just about sort of the focus of the dicastery in terms of of the environment, and then obviously you've been very active also in, in, in the South American sort of the indigenous peoples. Uh, could you talk a little bit about sort of the, the, from that aspect as well? I think that's a very interesting subtopic. Well, good. Uh, sure, I'm happy to do that. In fact, by uh, in the in the comments that uh, I've been making so far, I've been uh, maybe uh, spelling out some of the uh, aspects of of human fraternity mm -hmm. that uh, Pope Francis has has highlighted in his latest encyclical, Fratelli Tutti, um, we are all brothers and sisters. Uh, and so you could say that he is uh, highlighting that we are all uh, interconnected. But in, uh, in 2015, he published uh, his, uh, the encyclical you mentioned, uh, Laudato Si. And there he, uh, emphasized and, and said that everything is interconnected. In other words, which is a formula for uh, what we mean by environment. In other words, that when you look at things environmentally, you uh, pay attention to the interconnections, the interdependencies, the effects of one uh, phenomenon on another. Um, and that's when you add that all up, that's what, you, what, what we call environment. And um, Laudato Si uh, calls our environment our common home, mm -hmm. our common home. It could also, to underline the urgency, it could also call it our only home, our only home. Sure. Despite a bit of science fiction, we really don't have the option of moving somewhere else. Okay. We are, uh, this is where either, either we're human here or we're not going to be human at all. And so Laudato Si uh, brought into focus our uh, involvement in, our interconnection with, and our in enormous responsibility for uh, the environment, our common home. And um, uh, again, along the lines of what I was uh, saying earlier about our brothers and sisters, also with, when it comes to our common home, we are not, uh, we are not free to sacrifice our home uh, for some short-term uh, gain, some short-term advantage, some short-term profit. We, we have to take care of it in a long-term way. So one of the interesting things that Pope Francis did, one of the many interesting things that Pope Francis did in Laudato Si was to include future generations of people in our responsibility. 
that when we when we think of, for example, the golden rule or mm -hmm. other expressions of our interconnectedness and our responsibility for one another, that is not only uh, uh, right now. In other words, uh, what we usually think of as social justice, our responsibility to one another, sure. but our responsibility extends to future generations who will look back and say, well, now, weren't they a fine lot? in the early uh, 21st century, where they knew, they knew, uh, but they didn't do. They knew, but they didn't do. What a sad, what a sad judgment that will be. When, and, and what a sad thing for people, let's say, who are looking forward to the birth of their grandchildren now, uh, to be able to look those children in the eye and say, uh, you're very welcome, we're so happy you were born, but unfortunately, uh, the the world you're we're leaving for you is uninhabitable. Mm. It's uninhabitable because we really needed this uh, product. We really needed this profit. We really needed this advantage. We couldn't we couldn't manage without it. We so sorry. No water. No <laughs> fresh air. No wood. Uh, no agriculture. No fishing. Sorry. Isn't that sad? But that's how we're behaving. That's how we're, we're behaving. Uh, so that's uh, Laudato Si helped us to rediscover our, uh, or discover for many of us for the first time, that, that what we call the world or the planet or other cool expressions for it is actually something very close to us. When you say my home, our home, you're saying something that's really loaded and really important for you. And, uh, uh, and we have one home for all of us. That's how God chose to uh, give us life in one home. He could have put each one of us on a separate planet. There were plenty of planets to go around, but no, he put us all together on one planet and uh, said, uh, this is your home, take care of it. And we said, thank you very much, but we're not taking care of it. So that's not very bright. And uh, so now I've lost the thread of your question. So what am I supposed to say to you about this? I, I, I was just um, I, I was just uh, looking at the the diecastry's uh, involvement, and then also uh, I was mentioning sort of the the indigenous peoples component of um, the uh, the diecastry because I knew you were uh, actively involved in the sort of South American and indigenous peoples activity there as well. So I was just looking to uh, well, that actually was uh, a very uh, focused uh, time. Right. Um, a year and a half, two years ago, when mm -hmm. I, when the Holy Father named me one of the, um, one of the secretaries of the uh, synod on the Amazon, yep. and yes, in the in the years leading up to that, uh, I was involved and, and very interested, and in um, in uh, Laudato Si and in earlier uh, uh, and other um, addresses that the Holy Father gave. He, he has been emphasizing how we we can't take care of some of a of a human heritage or treasure like the Amazon uh, in in a kind of a cold and technocratic way. We we have to take care of it in a holistic way, which is to say that the people who live there are part of the environment, just as the environment is part of them, and. Uh, uh, it is uh, it is sheer madness and folly for us uh, who who are not uh, living in 
in an area like the Amazon uh, to think that we know best and that uh, we should uh, be free to uh, cut it down and pave it over because that's the way we see it. When the people who live there have, uh, you might say, over the, over the generations and centuries have grown up in the environment and are not only uh, deeply connected with it, but are wisely connected with it and do know how to care for it in ways that uh, we uh, sort of super industrialized moderns can't uh, even imagine anymore. So the, the idea that uh, caring for the Amazon or caring for the Congo Basin or, or caring for the, uh, for the Pacific Islands is uh, for, uh, for, is to be seen in terms of technical or economic uh, problems and solutions is very, very short-sighted. Sure. Whereas the people who live in the, uh, in the territory uh, need to be at the table. They need to be at the table and not just as silent witnesses to the uh, decisions made by others, but as active participants in the decision-making. And that would uh, help us to meet our responsibilities to our common home. I think that the scientists have made it very clear that, that if we throw away the Amazon as we're doing now, uh, our common home will probably collapse. Um, and um, I hope we're not so stupid as to see what, 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 to see what that's going to be like. Although I know that some people are tempted to do that, and it looks like the decisions of the uh, of the better the better off and the more powerful still go in that direction. That that the resources, the extraction of the resources, is more important than the um, than the uh, evident uh, danger that that is posing to not only to the Amazon and to the people who live there, but to all of us. Uh, this kind of interconnectedness, interdependence, and the willingness to slow down, to consume less, to enjoy more, uh, to relax a bit, and to uh, uh, stop the, the mad rush towards, uh, uh, towards wealth and consumption, uh, that's, uh, that's a prospect which uh, collectively we seem to, at least those in the higher, in the higher positions seem to be denying or avoiding. Although there is some progress uh, and there are themes of, uh, that, that we've talked about already in this, in this uh, interview, which are making their slow way into uh, public thinking and, and public policy. So I don't want to uh, paint a too apocalyptic a picture, um, but I do think it's important to underline the urgency of going uh, further and faster in the decisions um, which will um, assure the uh, not only the survival but the the flourishing of the of the indigenous peoples of the Amazon and really throughout the world. It's uh, the the ways in which they have been suppressed and set aside is all to the damage of our common home and our common family, our human family. So those that those trends really have to be reversed. And um, then other important decisions about how we live and how we consume, uh, in, in the, uh, especially in the uh, over-consuming nations, because some of us live way beyond our budget, our, our planetary budget. 
and most of the poor live way under it, but we, people like you and me and most of our listeners, we live way over budget, and we can't go on doing that. Cardinal Journey, um, 20 years ago, uh, in, in the midst of a, of a major, another major pandemic, HIV AIDS, uh, you founded the African Jesuit AIDS Network, uh, and you directed that for eight years. Um, just you know, here we are in 2021, another pandemic, different type of one, but still there are many components that, that are quite similar in terms of where it's disproportionately affecting people and so forth. Um, any interesting learnings? I mean, thinking back 20 years now to AJAN, uh, can you just talk a little bit about some of your thoughts as we are in the middle of another pandemic two decades later? Well, I could begin by saying that AJAN stands for African Jesuit AIDS Network. And so that was the name of the uh, the effort that I was leading up uh, to to network, to uh, bring together in uh, in communication and coordination uh, the Jesuits in scattered throughout 30 different uh, countries in sub-Saharan Africa who were in one way or another engaged in uh, HIV AIDS uh, ministry. And uh, I guess uh, you've uh, invited me to uh, kind of apply the learnings and the model of uh, Ajahn uh, in the current situation. And I think uh, maybe that's a, a, a valid question and a, an interesting suggestion because uh, what I've said now that, that people are uh, engaged in uh, a, an effort in, in, in various places, in different locations, in different territories, therefore with different people, uh, they don't need to be regimented. They don't need to be um, uh, fed a single solution or uh, obliged to follow a, a single protocol, but rather they need to be accompanied and assisted to respond to the needs of the people who they are seeking to, to serve, seeking to help. And maybe that, um, maybe that pattern, which um, favors the... Uh, the, the local qualities of a response, the response to the particular needs uh, or the, the way in which the needs show themselves in, in, in each place and situation. Maybe that's an important feature where uh, what, what we often mean by globalization means uniformization. It means reducing the differences so that a single product will be uh, bought and sold uh, throughout the planet, and uh, we will consume that uh, simultaneously uh, in an identical fashion in order to enhance the profit margin and make sure that uh, the, the corporation, because it's usually few uh, corporations, if only one, that the corporation prospers. That model of, of uh, globalization is perhaps coming to the end of its uh, useful uh, shelf life, maybe we need to find ways to enhance the the local dimension or the local foundation of our responses. So we're responding to needs which we can identify and which are quite similar, but um, what we need to do is not export and distribute single answers, but encourage responses. And this might be true even even in the case now of this terrible uh, pandemic of uh, COVID-19. We're very grateful for what uh, science and technology and uh, 
medicine have so quickly discovered about it so that we could be uh, well informed, so that uh, responses could be intelligent throughout the planet as this thing spread practically instantly to every corner of the globe. Uh, at the same time, we, we need to enhance uh, local and national uh, public healthcare systems. I think that the, the pandemic is not only revealing the weakness of the human, uh, the human body, that we are uh, unpro unprotected, defenseless in the face of this uh, tiny uh, enemy, but uh, also that our public health systems nearly everywhere are not up to the task. The public health, uh, the public health dimension, which is essential in dealing with a, uh, with a pandemic, uh, has been decimated and, and uh, cut down in favor of privatized medicine and, and uh, medicine on the business model. And this is uh, very short-sighted, uh, again, short-term profit, but long-term damage. So we need to learn how to care for ourselves, to care for one another, also medically or health-wise, in, in, a, in a coordinated way, in a way that doesn't depend on, uh, on the profit motive, but depends rather on uh, the care motive. And the, the profit motive is, is a fine thing, but it needs to serve the care motive, not replace it. And unfortunately, when, um, when medicine is... Uh, mercantilized or rendered uh, whatever you call it by uh, a private enterprise uh, that's uh, privatization that is uh, short-term profit and long-term misery long-term uh, short-sightedness long-term uh, incapacity and what uh, I think what we've seen in nearly every corner of the globe is uh, the incapacity of the public health care system to respond and where there are exceptions, we have seen it because thanks to public health care, uh, there are countries which have responded very uh, effectively uh, and dominator. Uh, so um, again, lessons to be learned about how we care for one another. Uh, so we've shifted from caring for the common home now back to caring for one another, which is finally Finally, the theme of Fratelli Tutti, the latest encyclical. And in fact, just last week, we celebrated the first International Day of Human Fraternity on the 4th mm -hmm. of February. And there we, we try to remind one another all over the world um, thanks to the love of God, as however we uh, express uh, our relationship with God, our uh, in the different religions and faiths throughout the world, but that uh, that in our thanks to God's love, God's care, God's uh, providence, we are brothers and sisters to each other. And uh, thanks to this uh, event and thanks to the encyclical Fratelli Tutti, we have the, we had this international uh, day to remember to remember that we are brothers and sisters and uh, to. Uh, is a kind of uh, reinforce our willingness and our creativity, our energy, our focus uh, in how we can more effectively, more truly treat one another as brothers and sisters. And the interesting thing now, which is uh, verified also by you and I having a an interview separated by by thousands of kilometers, 
uh, is that uh, there really is no limit to what you or I or anyone means by brother or sister. Word extends to this uh, line, and here's the frontier, and beyond that frontier, they are not brothers and sisters to me. That's what uh, that's the message that Pope Francis has communicated so effectively. And uh, you you would say, well, we always knew that. I don't think that's true. We didn't always know that. We we Im implicitly or unconsciously put borders. Borders give us a false sense of security. And so we put borders and say, these are my brothers and sisters, or these are my friends, or this is my tribe, and the others are, and then you have whatever names you want to use. And... Uh, and that's not true. It's not true. So um, let's recalibrate and rethink and redo what it means to live on, in this common home with our brothers and sisters. So if you want it in a, in a slogan, a sort of a concluding slogan, that uh, Laudato Si taught us that everything is connected. Mm -hmm. And Fratelli Tutti taught us that everyone is connected. Mm -hmm. So everyone is connected in our common home and in which everything is connected. So those are the connections. And that's what our faith uh, brings us to recognize and to, uh, to respond to responsibly and generously. Outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, Condescending, one one final question. Um, obviously, you know, we were just talking. You were just mentioning, obviously, what technology uh, you know has substituted for nowadays, especially over the last year. Could you say just a few words while I have you about uh, the the crisis and health rosary uh, component of the Pope's worldwide prayer network? Because uh, you know, technology is giving us so many things. It's giving us now new ways to to pray and pray for others. Uh, talk, uh, if you would, a couple minutes just about this, if you would. Well, sure, I'm glad to. So the um, what was uh, at the origins of the Worldwide Network is what we used to call the Apostleship of Prayer, which was a, a work uh, that was uh, entrusted to the Jesuits, to the Society of Jesus, for, for many years, many centuries. But in, during the time of Pope Francis now, this uh, Apostleship of Prayer has been uh, transformed into the Pope's Prayer Network in order to um, involve people everywhere in ways which are now possible through, through the electronic networking that we have, so that we can, we can indeed pray together, um, more or less simultaneously or on a 24-24 hour basis, as there's somebody praying all over the world, around somewhere around the world for, for the, the Pope's. Uh, and so the monthly intention, which was a tradition within the Apostleship of Prayer, uh, is now a, uh, an intention which we can share uh, um, all over the world uh, through electronics as well as through uh, other publication means, and which is enhanced each month by a video a short video in which the Holy Father proposes his theme and invites us uh, through images and uh, sound, music and uh, a few words to uh, begin our prayer, to begin our meditation on that theme. And uh, in fact, in January, the theme was on uh, uh, 
Universal Fraternity, and so it was a wonderful preparation for the first uh, International Day of Human Fraternity. Uh, this month of February, it's, it, we are praying for uh, forgiveness and recovery from violence against women. And, uh, and each month, the theme calls us to an important part of, of our uh, life together uh, in society and uh, on, on the planet. So again, our, our common fraternity, our, that we are brothers and sisters uh, in our common home. And uh, there's, an old, uh, uh, there's an old slogan, which is very true, the family which prays together stays together. And the uh, Holy Father's uh, prayer network is the human family praying together, and that's uh, so. And praying together in its in our one common home. So that is a um, contemporary expression of uh, the basic uh, truth uh, that as a human family, uh, if we pray together, uh, and those who participate in the Pope's prayer network are in a sense, doing the, you might say, work of prayer uh, for everyone, uh, carrying, the, carrying the prayer intentions forward in, in, in their prayers, uh, wherever they are. So uh, it's a, a, very, uh, a very appropriate uh, topic that you chose to, with which to close our conversation, because it, it, in a way it, 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 it allows us to see that there are ways of expressing with faith and hope the, the, the many different points that we've touched upon and to do so uh, in response to the Holy Father's invitation each month, uh, depending on the theme, and to do it together uh, thanks to the coordination of the network and thanks to the, also the electronic means that are at our disposal. So let's be a, indeed be a human family that prays together so that we can also stay together in this common home. Thank you. Thank you very much for that message. Um, uh, Cardinal Czerny, it was a, an honor spending time with you, um, for everybody that's going to be, uh, watching this episode on the YouTube channel or listening on the podcast network. You've been listening to Cardinal Michael Czerny, Undersecretary of Migrants and Refugee Section from the Dicastria Promoting Integral Human Development at the Vatican. Uh, Cardinal Czerny, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your knowledge uh, and wisdom with us. And as we say on the show, thank you for helping to create a better tomorrow for so many people out there that need a better tomorrow. Uh, it's been an honor seeing you. Thank you. God bless you. And yes, God bless everyone who's listening and watching too. Thank Thanks you so much.